Well, I uh, grew up in the church, um, Presbyterian Church. My father was the pastor. Many of you know that. Uh, many of you heard him preach here at my installation service not too long ago. However, uh, something you may not know is that my father has been at that church for almost 30 years now. And if you did a little bit of the math, that would mean that I got there about when I was turning seven. And um, that meant that most of my childhood was spent in one church. Great thing, right? Lots of good things there. It's, it's, it's great when a pastor can stay that long um, by God's providence. But unless your track record as a, a child is, is rather flawless or good, going into a profession such as mine can create some interesting dynamics. Um, and it can be interesting as, as you return to your home church, as I've done, a church you spent most of your childhood in, and now have said, I believe God is calling me into pastoral ministry to look those people in the eyes who knew me when I was seven and 10, and even better, 15 or 13, you know, uh, those years, it's, it's, it's an interesting interaction. And, and I'm almost certain that they are thrilled that I've gone into the ministry. I know they are. I know they are. But I know that some of them have had their doubts. And the reason is because over the period of almost 30 years, a lot, a lot can happen in someone's life. And those who know you the best uh, might have the, the longest period of time to understand what you've gone through, uh, especially if they've not been with you, if you as you've gone through a lot of changes. But those changes are marked by God's grace, by His the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I'm not here to tell you that I've reached a point of perfection or sanctification uh, of, of becoming like Christ that is is such a high level, um, that's not my point. It's The point is that I've changed and that God has been at work in unmistakable ways in my life. God's taken people out of my life when they needed to be taken out, and he's put people in my life that I've needed all along the way, which have been some great answers to my prayers. So as Peter heads to Jerusalem in our passage, he is going with a similar uh, report to the brothers in Jerusalem that he has met some people that have changed in great ways, people they weren't expecting to have changed. And he's probably on his way to Jerusalem thinking about the story he's going to tell these brothers uh, that maybe they've already heard about, that these Gentiles have become believers in Jesus Christ. They've experienced repentance. The Holy Spirit has fell on them. Now, I appreciate a church like you all, Hope Presbyterian, that loves to hear the whole counsel of God preached, even when the whole counsel of God repeats itself. So we are going to look back at Peter's vision again this morning. We've heard it. This will be the third time. But I want you to take note of the repetition. Because Luke is using it. The repetition means something. It is, it is communicating importance to us as readers. There is a turning point occurring here in the book of Acts and in the history of God's redemptive plan. So, 
While we have that in our text, we will concentrate a little bit more on Peter's interaction with these brothers who are criticizing him. We'll touch on the vision and then we'll look at what repentance is at, at the end. Now, Peter comes upon this circumcision party is the way the text describes them. You know, this is not a party like down the street that we're going to tonight. Uh, this is a group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And uh, this is likely not the entirety of the Christians in Jerusalem. It is a subgroup, most likely, but they are Jewish. They are in Judaism. And at this point in the history of our faith in Christianity, many of the believers were Jewish. Um, It was a movement within Judaism. So it's not hard to see where these men are coming from. If you want to join our crowd, if you want to join our group, there's certain things you need to take on to be a part of us. It's like most every groups, you know, there's uniforms, there's standards that you require for people to come into your group. And one of these for them was circumcision. You must be circumcised to be to gain entry into our our group, into our faith. Now, we're not going to go through the whole scripture uh, to see how this came about, this understanding, this belief. We don't have time. But if you were to look in uh, the Old Testament Uh, At the very beginning, God is calling his people out. Uh, You could go to passages like Genesis 17, 9 through 14, where where God is is talking to Abraham and he's saying, or Abram at the point, and he's saying, circumcision will be a sign for you as a people as I call you out to be separated, to be my people, to be marked as holy and apart from all the rest. And so it was a sign of the covenant that God had made with his people. His relationship with them. And, 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 and it was very appropriate. It was something that God put in place. And then if you follow along in to Leviticus, you see that God was putting other signs in place. Like you will not eat of the unclean animals. Uh, there are laws there for them. And they were to teach these statutes to one another that Moses had given them. Leviticus 20, 25 through 26 says, separate the clean from the unclean. You are, shall be holy to me for I am the Lord holy and have separated you from the peoples. You are mine, God is saying. Now, there's also other passages that communicate how these people of God will be a blessing to all nations. Genesis 12, 3, even before the ones I just mentioned says, I will bless you, or I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the, and in all the families of the earth they, you shall, uh, they shall be blessed. Um, as Harry read in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So there's this, this law of circumcision as a sign that is uh, on the people of God. And yet, God also used language of circumcision of the heart um, as, he, as he works in people's lives. And this will not be the last time we, we uh, address this topic. In Acts 15, uh, we will come back around to it. As, as Peter will not quite get it in his mind what is going on here. And we'll have to talk about the law in relation to the gospel. 
And the Apostle Paul, who, who will come about in Acts as well, he will address this over and over again. And in his letters, Romans 2.29 says, Circumcision is a matter of the heart, a work of the Spirit. So that you can see there's more here. Uh, even back in the Old Testament, I'm no, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but Deuteronomy 36, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. So what Peter is saying here, what he's learning, and he was a good student of, the, of God's word, is that God wanted to bless the nations through Israel. And his blessing was falling upon the Gentiles. And so this was somewhat reorienting or disorienting for Peter. And he had to come to terms with it as he was trying to explain it to these guys. And what he wants to say is, I was wrong. These Gentiles are coming into the faith. And God's doing it. And it's not my work or my idea. So instead of debating with these guys, Peter just starts recounting what happened. Um, and this is how it, 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 it all happens for us. When we were accused of doing something we weren't supposed to do, what do we do? Well, we try to, we try to recount what happened with exact detail, right? Um, and, and we try to retrace our steps to those who are asking. Um, I was with a, a police officer yesterday in Dairy Queen, and I was asking him, like, you know, how his job is these days especially with some of the things that have gone on between police officers and our citizens here. And, um, you know, he said, well, nowadays, you know, there's cameras everywhere. You know, there's cameras on me. He's pointing at the camera and the Dairy Queen that I didn't even know was there. And so we live in a world where if you want to recount what happened, there's footage. And he says there's times where, you know, people are, are looking a lot different than they were when he showed up in court and they they can play the the video um but peter is retelling uh the story once again and what is interesting to notice is he he recounts a story the there is an impeccable sequence here at just the right time peter is having a vision and then just as the vision is over there's a knock at the door and and there's men that have arrived and what I want you to notice here is that God did not let Peter sit on the vision for an hour, for a day, for a night. I don't know about you, but when something pops in my head to do and I, and I say I'll do it later, it's a kiss of death for it. You know, it's not going to get done. It just floats away. But God was like, you're going to do this now and, and you're not going to have a choice. And any good coach, and God is much greater than a coach, but any good coach will show you how to do something. And then ask you to do it. So I just finished up coaching Caden in basketball. We just finished the season. We were at Dairy Queen yesterday for a party. Um, you know, fill, fill a bunch of seven, eight-year-olds with ice cream and then send them home. That's your, your present for the season. But I was coaching Caden, and when he would get a steal or a rebound and he'd be flying down towards his basket to shoot at, I noticed that he was doing something he shouldn't be doing as a coach. He was stopping before he got to the basket. He was the only one there. And he was taking a jump shot when he should have been laying the ball up into the hoop. So what did I do as his coach? The next day, we went out to our driveway. Ten times, I showed him how to do a layup, and then I asked him to do it ten times in a row. 
Then the next game, he did some ugly layups. But he was <laughs> learning, and I was trying to coach. But there's no mistake for Peter as to where he's go, where he is to go. There's no mistake what he is to share with these people. The men come and they say, you have a message for us. We want you to bring it to uh, where we feel you should bring it. And he was to share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Peter obeys the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was ready. He was prepared to share the gospel message when the opportunity presented itself. And what I want to ask you this morning is, are you in that same place? Are you ready to share the gospel when the opportunity presents itself? Do you know it well enough to do so? Do you respond immediately to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Or do you sit on him? Peter's whole argument, though, rests on God's initiative. That's what's so great about his argument. It was the Spirit, Spirit's leading. Essentially, he's saying, God made me do it. How do you argue with that? You can see God's initiative through it all. Through Cornelius, through Peter, through these Gentiles. What do you think the percentage is that Peter would have showed up at Cornelius' house without God's leading? Zero. Very slim. And yet it's a tremendous argument that his accusers have little rebuttal to. How can you argue with the leading of the Holy Spirit? Now, I just want to state, though, that this can be abused. We can abuse what we feel or we can be misled by what we think is the Holy Spirit's leading and is not. And so we need to incorporate other helps, the Word of God, other godly mentors and disciples who can say and talk with us and say, yes, I do believe this is the leading of the Holy Spirit, so that we are not running off on our own. But we believe Peter is being led by the Holy Spirit. It has the marks of the Holy Spirit all over it. And this is the beauty of the book of Acts. I preached on Acts 8 and the Samaritans coming to faith. Very similar account. Holy Spirit fell on them and they came to faith. And as we said last week, or as Pastor David pointed out in verse 11 of our passage, Peter is referencing the beginning. This reminds me of the beginning, he says. And the beginning in which he's referencing is Pentecost, Acts 2. And how the Holy Spirit fell upon them then. And Peter, after he delivered the message, he said, This message, these promises are for you and your household and for those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, he says. And that's what's happening right here. It's like a Gentile Pentecost is occurring. And so Peter says to these guys, God, in verse 17 of our passage, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? And so as the Gentiles receive this faith and receive the word of God, in precisely the same way the Jews received it, Peter's point is anyone can receive it it's the same way so it doesn't matter if you're a gentile or a jew it doesn't matter which nation you come from remember genesis 12 
God will bless all the nations through Israel. It goes out to all people groups, all nations. And for us, this means that those people might be living next to you. They might be in your workplace. They might be playing basketball with you. They might be in your family. How will you know? Well, you must share the good news with them. We don't know who will respond favorably. We don't know who God's calling into the kingdom, into the covenant people of God. But we will know if we're sharing the faith with them. And this faith is exactly what Peter uh, shared in Acts 10. If you want to know what the faith is or what you should be sharing, go to Acts 10, 36 through 43. Where Peter says that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's Lord over your gods or your religion. He's been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was put to death on a cross. God raised him from the the grave on the third day. Jesus was resurrected. He's appointed He's the appointed one to judge the living and the dead. And here's a good one. He's the one that all the prophets in the Old Testament point to. Our Jewish friends that I've sat down with, it's like your your scriptures, your your word points to Jesus. And he speaks of your word. And that's what we are to share. And so the Holy Spirit had an agenda that neither Peter or his buddies in Jerusalem could stand in the way of. I love this line. Peter just says, what, what could I do? I just got to get out of the way. Um, and this can be hard. It takes humility. Um, some of us can get in the way of what God's doing with a stubborn heart or with our sin. And so you may ask, well, how do I get out of the way? How do I get in the game? How do I follow the Spirit's prompting and leading in my life? Well, look at verse 5. What was Peter doing initially? He was praying. It's, it starts with prayer. That's the first question to ask. Are you praying? Are you praying consistently? Are you praying that God would move in your life? Peter was in Joppa praying. Makes me like to think of this as you are in Hamilton praying. You're in Robbinsville praying. You're in Lawrenceville praying. You're in Princeton praying. Get the idea? And then there's a knock at the door. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But someone may ask you about Jesus. Someone may be looking for a church and you can invite them to your church. There are great testimonies of people who are just simply invited to a church. Now, upon hearing Peter's story or defense, I should say, the only proper response that these men had was silence. You ever had those moments? It's like, oh, this wasn't what I thought it was. I think I just need to be silent for a little bit. Their questions were silenced. And they're... They're, they're basically saying who could stand in God's way. And I love Peter's humility here. Peter, it seems, has learned a thing or two. If you know anything of Peter's story, this was not necessarily his tendency. His tendency more was to get in the way. I mean, look at Matthew 16. 
Jesus is like, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest. I'm going to die. Peter's like, Lord, come over here. I'm going to rebuke you. No, you're not. This was right before Jesus, or right before this, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. You're the rock. And then he's like, you're a stumbling rock. All right, after that. And he says, you're a hindrance to me, Peter. What a beautiful story this is, though. Peter's like, now he's like, here you go, God. Get out of the way. And he's following God's lead. So there's questions just to ask ourselves of whether we're we're listening to God, we're spending time in prayer, we're following his lead. Who are uh, you inviting into your lives? Another another part of this that I find intriguing is is oftentimes, and I've been saying this a lot, we need to invite people into our lives. We need to invite them into a conversation we're having about the gospel. And yet, you notice here that Peter's invited into Cornelius' life, right? So how many people are inviting you into their lives? You imagine that first step Peter had into Cornelius' house? It's like he's not supposed to be going there. Have you found yourself in those situations? You're like, I feel a little uneasy about this. And yet they're inviting me into their lives. I've had a few of those. Halloween parties. Like, what's going on here? Um, but I, the, the police officer I was, I was sitting with yesterday at Dairy Queen was like, he loves to fish. I hope he invites me to go fishing. I'm not great at fishing. I'm not going to go show him how it's done, but... I would love to go fishing with him. Just the other week, uh, Noah came home from school. He had another invitation to a birthday party. We've been to Bounce You a number, a couple of times already. And he, he puts it on the counter and he goes, this is from the new girl. I don't want to go. I'm like, the new girl. She needs friends. Don't you want to go? So Julie ends up texting his mom saying, Noah can't come. And she, they just moved to the area, obviously, from Brooklyn. They have five children, and they're just trying to meet people. And they're inviting us into their lives. So we're going to invite them over. But um, who's inviting you into their lives? It's an open door um, to share the gospel. So the circumcision party, they respond with silence, and then they glorify God. And why are they glorifying God? Because God is calling sinners home. And Luke 15, 7 says there's joy in heaven when that happens. Heaven is rejoicing. They're glorifying God. They're praising Him. Because God's granting repentance unto life, is how they put it at the end of our passage. Now, what what is that? We're going to conclude with this. What is repentance that leads to life? What is repentance? Because sometimes we think of repentance as uh, a feeling or sentiment of sorrow or guilt. We do something we know we're not supposed to. We do something we know does not line up with God's word. And we're, we feel guilt. We feel sorrow over it. We feel despair. We feel imperfect. We feel disappointment. But that, that's different. That response is different from Repentance. Because repentance is not something that we can muster up on our own. It's not something that we can do under our own power. And if you think of it that way, you're underestimating the power of sin in your life. 
or the cunningness of the devil that they can outmaneuver you or deceive you. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable repentance in our lives. The Holy Spirit enabled the Gentiles to recognize their sin against God and the need to turn, to make a turn, to make a change. Repentance begins with the convincing that you are sinful, that you will be miserable in this life if you continue in your sin. It's a realization that you have a great need, just as the Gentiles did. That through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you're able to react to the good news that's presented before you and see your need. And in the beginning, in Acts 2, as Peter said, you're cut to the heart. And you ask, what should we do? What should I do about this? And Peter's response is, repent. And repentance leads you right into the loving kindness of God. And His mercy and His gracious offer to you in the Gospel. It's knowing that God has saved you not because of what you've done or not done in your life. But because Jesus has died on your behalf, you are now redeemed and you don't need to die yourself. So it's a circumcision of the heart. And, and, and repentance leads you to faith in Christ. The two are inseparable. Faith and repentance. It's a new course. It plugs in new coordinates for your life. You head in a new direction. So Peter arrives in Jerusalem with this great report. The Gentiles have received repentance that leads to life. They are in. They are clean. They are called. They are cut to the heart by God's grace for them, seen through His Son, Jesus. Praise God, the Holy Spirit led Peter to Cornelius' house that day. And the only proper response they had was silence and to glorify God. I pray that we would find ourselves in that place over and over again until Jesus comes back or calls us home that we would see more lost sinners come to faith in Christ by the leading of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. May we be a part of that for God's glory. Let us pray. God, we confess and admit that at times your ways are mysterious and not always um, obvious to us. Uh, We ask that you would help us to follow you, to serve you and to be faithful. We repent of the times in which we have not been so. And we're grateful for your grace and your forgiveness that is there for us. You're not asking for perfection. You're not asking for us to um, follow you in a way that is flawless. But God, we want to do so. and We want your help. We want your power. So we ask that you would come and lead us by your word and your spirit. We're grateful that we get to do this side by side. You've called us into a local church. We don't do this alone. And so may we go with your words of life to those who need it, to speak it into their lives in such a way that they can understand and receive it. 
so that they too uh, may have an experience repentance that leads to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.